the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. I was just thinking that song reminds us that that we're on a journey and the sad fact of the matter is a lot of folks are on the wrong road. It's so heartbreaking to think about so many people, maybe with good intentions, and yet in pursuit of things that uh, cannot possibly fulfill the longing of their heart. Let me start this morning by asking a very personal question. And in a sense... It's something that you always have on your mind, but you, you seldom give it any serious thought. So here's the question. What do you want most? What do you want most out of life? What is the one thing above everything that you desire? If we took a survey, no doubt it would reveal many different answers everything imaginable. But whenever it's all said and done, we boil it down to its pure essence. And the bottom line would be this, and that is that we all want the same thing, and that's satisfaction. Whether you call it happiness, joy, contentment, peace, or whatever label you put on it, we all yearn to be satisfied. Would you be surprised if I told you that God wants the same thing for you? I've often said, you know, that if we were as smart as God, we would want for ourselves exactly what God wants for us. The sad thing is a lot of folks think that satisfaction is out of reach. That's why they hit the bottle and smoke dope and do everything imaginable trying to find that magic pill or that one thing that will excite them enough that they can start to enjoy life. And some of them actually can't believe that God really does want them to be happy. But He does. God wants you to be happy, but listen... He wants you to find your happiness in Him because He is the one and only true source of satisfaction. It's sad a lot of folks never discovered that and they searched the world over looking for anything and everything that hopefully is going to make them satisfied. They're not the first to try it. Solomon tried that many long years ago. Solomon conducted an experiment. In fact, he pursued every avenue known to man. And remember, he is in a position, he has the power, he has the wealth in order to do whatever he wants to do. And so he takes off down this road and down that road and he he pursues everything imaginable and finally comes to the conclusion that it's all vanity. It's a soap bubble world. There's nothing substantial there, nothing that will satisfy. And he reaches the place, like a lot of people, where he said, I hated life. Can you imagine someone in that position 
with all of that money, all of that power, all of that prestige, saying, I hated life. And it was all because he could find no satisfaction. There's another story that speaks about that, although we usually don't think so. And it's much shorter, and this morning, to serve our purpose, I want you to consider this story found here in Luke chapter 15, one that you're very familiar with, and that's the story of the prodigal son. Verse 11, And he said a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in thy sight, am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. One famous writer called this the greatest piece of literature ever written. Have you ever wondered what it was that caused the prodigal son to leave? What was he searching for? It could have been a number of different things. It might have been his independence. I think all young people at some time in their life, they get to that place that they want to cut the apron strings, they want to get out in the world, they want to try their wings, do their own thing, and just do what they want to do. That might have played a part in this young man's decision. He wants independence. Nobody telling me what to do. It might have been the pursuit of pleasure. The Bible speaks about there being pleasure in sin. Some folks act like, you know, oh, well, after you've been saved, sin's no longer pleasurable. Oh, but it is. There is a pleasure to sin, but it's only for a season. 
That's why it never satisfies. You have to keep going back again and again and again. And it might be this young man decided that I'm just not being fulfilled here at home. I need to get out there in the world and pursue the the pleasure that the other folks are enjoying. But it might be that it was riches that he yearned for. And he might have decided, you know, uh, Daddy's providing all that I need. I've never gone with that without food to eat. I, I have clothes on my back, a roof over my head. I have all of those things. But I've, I've heard about those really rich people in the world. And, you know, I, I'd like to join their ranks. And it might have been that he took off in pursuit of riches. It just might have been that he wanted to escape responsibility. I don't, I'm getting tired of dad telling me what to do. If I can get out there on my own, get my own apartment, I can do my own thing. Nobody will, nobody will give me a list of chores to do. Maybe that entered into his decision. I don't know. It might have been that he wanted to get relief from a conflict with his brother. I wish I had time to really go into some detail. In fact, I remember some years ago preaching a series. I think it was eight, nine, or ten messages on the prodigal son. and That would be easy to do. And this morning, I've got to just put it all together in, you know, one brief message. So understand that we've got to leave a lot of stuff out. When I mentioned the other brother, some folks got the idea that he was the shining knight. He was the hero of the family when the truth of the matter is he was a self-righteous snob. He was as much out of the will of God as the prodigal son was. And chances are there had been this conflict between the two before the one son ever left home. And it might have been that he reasoned, I can't take it anymore. I've got to get out of here. But then it might have been just that missing something. Put that in quotation marks. Something. You don't know what it is. But there's just something missing. Something that I can't explain. Something I'm looking for. And so young people sometimes strike out on that journey just looking for that something. But regardless of how you answer that question, it all boils down to exactly the same thing. He wanted to be satisfied. He's searching for satisfaction. He wants to be his own master in charge of his own life. He wants to be able to satisfy his personal desires. That's what everybody is looking for, even if they don't realize it. That's what they're looking for. So when we come to this story of the prodigal son, it's much more than a story about a man with a son. This is the story of fallen man and his need for God. And if we're ever to solve all of our problems, if we're ever able to secure satisfaction, it'll only be through God. And there's four things that we need to think about 
in regards to securing satisfaction, the first thing is that we have to admit the reality of the problem. You see, there are a lot of folks that are experts at making excuses and explaining things away. For example, there are some that have tried to justify man's sinful behavior by saying it's, it's normal. In other words, they put us on the same level as the brute beast and say that our behavior is nothing more than the survival of the fittest. In other words, this is a necessary part of our development as human beings and it's just the way life is and we can't change it. We shouldn't expect anything different and and if you talk to them, you know, about their sinfulness, it's... Well, I don't have a problem. This is just the way that we are. It's kind of like explaining the bad behavior of kids away by saying, Oh, well, you know, kids will be kids. That's right, but you ought to bust their rear end when they act like that too. Sure, kids will be kids. Sinners will be sinners. And so trying to explain... The problems of man away by saying, well, it's just the vestiges of the old human nature and we're in this process of evolution and it's going to take a while for us to shed this, this, this skin of humanity and finally reach a state of perfection. That's not going to get the job done. And so when I say admit the reality of the problem, what I'm talking about is, we need to acknowledge the fact that things are not as they should be. And we can keep changing the laws and and making different standards uh, to make sin acceptable. After all, that's what we've done, right? We, We call it by a different name. That's what we, you know, where we usually start. Put a different label on it. You know, if it's sinful and often, let's call it gay. That sounds good. That sounds harmless. Just call it gay. Then let's legalize it. You see what I'm saying? And I'm not just picking on that one particular sin. I mean, a lot of... It's just like, you know, we're debating about, well, you know, what about marijuana? Let's, you know... I mean, all of these years have been saying it's bad for you, it's terrible, it's wrong. But, we, we, you know, we shouldn't tolerate that in our society. But then all of a sudden, you know, and it's strange, we totally ignore the alcohol problem. Right? I mean, that's okay because we get all those tax dollars from that, right? So finally, with enough pressure, you know, we'll just legalize marijuana and get all the tax dollars from that. And so we just keep changing the label on sin and start making it lawful. But let me tell you, that doesn't make it right in God's sight. And, you know, we can look at our nation and say, oh, well, you know, we're not so bad in comparison to what? Well, somebody said, we're not so bad. You know, it could be worse, could be like it is over in Europe. Hey, just give us time. We'll be there. We've got to acknowledge that that life on planet earth is not at all like God intends for it to be. We've got to admit the reality of the problem that mankind is fallen, that the world is upside down, that we are sinful and undeserving 
of God's blessings. But then beyond that, we have to acknowledge the root of our problem. When I say admit the reality of the problem, I'm talking about looking at things in general, society as a whole. But now I'm talking about acknowledging the root of our problem. And any intelligent person would say, well, the root of our problem is what? Well, it's sin, right? I mean, we understand that. The root of our problem is sin. But a lot of folks have the idea that, you know, that the, the, the real problem is not the sin. It's, it's the fact that, like I said, it's our lingering animal instincts that have not passed away with time. We've not evolved to get to a state of perfection yet. And somebody else comes along and says, oh no, that's not the, that's not the problem. It's a lack of education. So we'll set aside more government funds and, you know, we'll do a better job at educating people like that's going to solve the problem. Somebody else says, well, what we really need is more opportunity. And, uh, you know, that brought about affirmative action and a lot of other things. And if somebody can't afford a house, you know, well, we'll just, we'll just shuffle the books and redo things and give them a government handout and, you know, we'll get them in some in some housing, first-time home buyers, that ought to work. Give them an opportunity. I remember several years ago, whenever they started that, and the first place I knew about it was there in St. Louis, Missouri, and, and all of those government projects. They built these multi-million-dollar projects for people to live in, and I mean, you know, they looked great. And within a matter of just few years, it was nothing but slums. Like Haverstock over here, not safe to walk through at night. And the, the problem is you can take, you can take the man out of the slums, but until you get the slums out of the man, you haven't solved the problem. And we have to acknowledge that the root of our problem is what? It's sin. It's time that we stopped listening to man and started listening to God because it clearly identifies the problem as that of sinfulness. We have violated God's laws. We transgressed against God. In some way or another, we keep thinking, no, just more education, more opportunities. Make more laws, legalize different things. And until you and I acknowledge our problem, We'll never discover the source of true satisfaction. But then that leads to this. And that is that we have to assume responsibility for our problems. Acknowledging it is one thing. You know, I've met a lot of people out here that would acknowledge the fact, yeah, I'm a drug user. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm an alcoholic or I'm a thief. And they will acknowledge that, but... But they never acknowledge their responsibility to be anything different than what they are. You see, there's something within all of us that just hates to admit that, that we're wrong. That, that we're to blame for the problem. And we'll do almost anything in order to shift the blame and get out from under the responsibility of it. But we've got to get rid of this idea that human weakness and failure is merely a deficiency of character. I mean, how many times have you heard someone say, oh, I'm just human? You know, none of us are perfect 
And so we explain away our bad behavior by saying, you know, everybody has faults. One sin is, you know, is not any different than any other sin. Until we get to the place that we understand that sin is a divine infraction against God's law, an infraction against His divine law, and understand that it's not just that we're hurting ourselves. It's not just that we're hurting our neighbor. It's not just that we're doing wrong in the sense that we violated the laws of the land, but rather that we have violated God's holy law until we get to that place that we admit our wrongdoing, things will never get any better. You know, the prodigal son could have got off in the far country he could have blamed everybody under the sun except himself, right? He could have said, well, it's daddy's fault. He put too much pressure on me. It's my brother's fault. He was too hard to get along with. You know, it was this, it was that. And finally, finally, the Bible says he came to himself. Now, I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. You see, we have to accept, accept the remedy for our problem. I've worded that very carefully. I've said what I did intentionally. I, I said accept it. We have to accept the remedy. And I say that because we can't create a solution. You, you and I, I mean, you know, regardless of how hard we try, we just can't come up with something that's a solution for the sin problem. All we can do is accept the remedy that God has already provided. The only solution is is for man, sinful man, to be reconciled to God. That, that, that's it. No other way. The Bible speaks about the unsaved person as being the enemy of God, rebels against God. And we have to be reconciled. But how can that happen? Well, religion sure hasn't worked, and it never will. There's only one way that we can be reconciled to God, and that's through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only by receiving Him can you and I find the remedy for our sin. And there's no satisfaction possible until that happens. That's why regardless of how much money you make, how much fame you enjoy, how many places that you travel to, whatever you do, you never are satisfied without Christ. Can you imagine what a fool the prodigal son would have been had he decided, you know, well, here I am in the pig pen. I think I'll just stay here. He might have assumed, well, there's no way out. There's no way things can be any better. I'll just stay here. That's exactly what a lot of folks have done. They, they've just decided in their heart, well, you know, I, I guess I'm just going to have to live the rest of my life being miserable. There's nothing out there that really satisfies. But I want you to notice five things here about the story of the prodigal son. First of all is the, his realization. He came to himself. You see, sin is spiritual insanity. When he came to himself, this is the turning point. He came to Himself. Until we do that, we'll never turn to God. A lot of people have tried to make repentance 
mean that we totally change our behavior. And by the way, repentance will result in a change of our behavior, but repentance means a change of the mind. And so you'll notice that there is a change taking place in this young man's mind. He is sick and tired of sin. There's no satisfaction in the far country. But when he came to himself, let me ask you, have you reached that point yet that you have finally come to yourself and you realize that without Christ there is no satisfaction? That's where he's at. But then notice there was a resolve. Notice verse 18 and 19. He said, I will arise and go to my father. In other words, I'm not going to just stay here and talk about my problem. I'm going to get up and go to my father. There is a resolve. And look at verse 20. Here's his return. And he arose and came to his father. You see, it's one thing to resolve in your heart that you're going to do something. It's another thing to finally reach the place that you actually do it. That you act on it. There's a lot of folks, you know, you know, were you to ask them, are, are, are you saved? And they would admit, no, I'm not saved. I'm not a Christian. I don't know I'd go to heaven if I died. And, well, don't you think it'd be a wonderful thing if you knew that? Well, yeah, sure. It'd be wonderful. But don't you hope to go to heaven someday? Well, yeah, I hope to go to heaven someday. What, how would you like to become a Christian right now? No, not right now. And they want to put it off and wait till a later time in life and hope that sometime before they die that they'll have another opportunity to trust Christ as their Savior and might even resolve in their heart that, yeah, someday I'm going to take care of that. I mean, literally, there have been people that made that comment that I'm going to go on sowing my wild oats and living life and enjoying life and then someday... When I've had my fill of that, then I'll become a Christian. It doesn't work that way because you can't come to God on your own terms. You have to go to God on His terms. So he arose and he came to the Father and notice the reception. Look at verse 20. He was met en route. The Father saw him coming down the road. That tells me he'd been looking for him. He's been out there looking for that long-lost son. And when he sees him, what does he do? He runs to him. You might have spent all of your life running away from God, but let me tell you, he's running to you, as it were. God's not at all reluctant to save you and change you and to help you. He met him in route, and then he welcomed him. We think about the fact that he's expressing his love and he kissed him on his neck and he welcomed him. You you know, he, he could, like some stern father said, you know, it's good to see you back home. I hope you learned your lesson. It's good to see you back home and you're on probation. I want you to know you mess up again and you're out of here, buddy. I'm not going to put up with that nonsense anymore you don't like my rules, you can hit the road. You see, there's no lecturing going on here whatsoever. It's an expression of love. And then notice how he blessed him. He, he said, put a robe on his back. I mean, the very best robe on his back and a ring on his finger. 
and shoes on his feet. I wish I had time to talk about all of those things because there's meaning in each and every one of those things. In other words, here's the Father assuring him of his place in the family. And then notice the rejoicing, verse 24, and they began to be merry. Listen, folks, I don't want you to just hear the message and leave here today without it making a difference in your life. I want this to be a life-changing day for you. I want you to leave here believing that there is hope for happiness. In other words, that there is a source of satisfaction. That Look, you, you might never become famous. You might never be rich. But I'm telling you, there's no reason why you can't be satisfied. Maybe you're thinking, but preacher, if you just knew my circumstances, if you knew how tough life was for me, if you knew what I was going through, it doesn't matter. I wrote an article the other day on the Morning Manna that said, uh, it's not Calvary. It's not Calvary. Whatever you're going through, it's not nearly so bad as what our Savior went through on Calvary. It's not nearly so bad as it could be. It's not nearly so bad as you deserve. We all have it better than we deserve. And regardless of your circumstances, you can live a life of satisfaction if you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting Him as your Lord and Savior. What fools we are to think that we're better off without God than we would with Him. I'll never forget when I was a boy, and uh, like, is there any kid that hasn't threatened to run away from home at some point in time? Was it Taylor the other day that packed her little bag, and David and Angie asked what she was going to do. She had her bag. She's going to leave home. She said, what are you going to do? She said, I'm going to go get married. I'm going to go get married, yeah. Well, I don't remember how old I was, but I got mad about something, and I packed my bag, and I decided to leave. Well, back behind our house, at the end of the field back there, there was a there was a, an old alley, just a dirt path, really, but an alley just big enough you could drive down. And, and uh, so I went back there, and I decided, well, you know, it was already getting late in the afternoon. I decided, you know, I, I, I better... Uh, Better not venture out too far. It'll be dark before too long. And so I, I, I took me something and tied it, I'll never forget, tied it one end of the fence and made me a little lean to a little tent. And I crawled up in there, and of course I had me some cookies, some goodies, some Tootsie Rolls, and, you know, some water or whatever. And, uh, and I, I stayed there just fuming whatever it was I was mad about. And, uh, Got late in the evening, and I knew about the time Dad would be home, and supper was always on the table. And all of a sudden, I could smell the the aroma of that food Mom cooking. And it wasn't long I heard the car pull in and the door slam, and Dad went in the house. And I was sitting there, and it was dark by now, and here I am sitting there in that little lean-to in the dark, and 
smelling that food and thinking about them. They're sitting around the table enjoying that good meal. And here I am out in the alley pouting. And I decided, well, you know, it's time to go back home. So I packed up all my stuff and went back home. Sat down at the table, enjoyed a good meal. Let me tell you, it might be that some of you have been running from God for years. And everything you've tried has ended up in disappointment. Nothing is ever really satisfied. Some people run from one relationship to another to, to another. And nothing ever satisfies. And I, I just want you to know this morning life doesn't have to be that way. This story of the prodigal son was written just for people like you to show us man's need of God. And notice it says that when he came to the Father, they rejoiced. It didn't say that the father rejoiced, but he did. And it didn't say that the prodigal son rejoiced, he did. But they rejoiced. And I want you to know there's nothing in all of the world that would make heaven happier than to see you turn to Christ and trust Him as your Lord and your Savior this morning. We're going to give you the opportunity to do that. I pray that you will before you leave this building today, that you'll trust Christ as your Savior, that you will follow Him as your Lord. And I promise if you do that, God will enable you to be satisfied in this old sinful world. Let's stand together. Father, I pray this morning that You'll just speak to hearts, that You'll use Your Word to convict us this morning of our needs, especially those that are strangers to your saving grace. Oh, dear God, help them to not go another day. Help them to not run the risk of turning their back on you again. Help them this morning to take advantage of the opportunity they have to become a child of God. And Heavenly Father, for those here today that maybe maybe they've been saved for a number of years and yet... Some way or another, they've been distracted by the glitter of this world. They've been looking out yonder in the world, as it were, for something that would satisfy when in reality it's been there all the time. And that is their relationship with you. And so this morning I pray that you'll accomplish your will in our lives I pray that you'll help us to overcome every obstacle, that you'll defeat the intentions of Satan and give us victory and save the soul nearest hell. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.